Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. Today, our guest is Rachel Klein, the Deputy Executive Director at the AIDS Institute in Washington, D.C. She joined the AIDS Institute, which is a leading national nonprofit that promotes action for social change for people living with HIV and viral hepatitis through her public policy research and advocacy and education. She's been there since 2018, and she leads the Institute's federal policy work coordinating advocacy efforts to advance policies that increase access to health care and treatment. Uh, she is also a steering committee member of the All Copays Count Coalition, which has advocated for an end to copay assistance. I'm very excited because while I know you are not um, in the spondyloarthritis space, you can talk to us about copay accumulators, which I think for our listeners is one of the hottest topics we all get frustrated with. So Rachel, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. So as we dive into this, I know this is a loaded question, but can you give us kind of an intro to copay accumulators and what the intended purpose is for them in managing our healthcare costs? Sure. Um, so it's a little bit complicated, but um, copay accumulator adjustment policies started about five years ago in like 2017 or 2018. And basically what happened was some health insurers and PBMs um, decided that they didn't have to count copay assistance that a lot of patients especially those who use specialty medications or really expensive brand medications, um, get from manufacturers or sometimes from a charitable foundation that helps them pay their um, out-of-pocket costs for their medications. And the insurers and PBMs decided that they didn't have to count that amount of money that they were being paid toward the patient's annual deductible or out-of-pocket costs, out-of-pocket limit. Um, and they just kind of made up this rule that these payments didn't count. And the purpose of it, from their perspective, is that they're having a hard time controlling the cost of prescription drugs. And copay assistance is provided for particularly expensive drugs. Um, and so they say that copay assistance um, undermines the ability of the health insurers and the PBMs to control prescription drug prices. Very interesting. So who actually, if I'm okay to ask this question, who actually has benefited from the diversion policies, right? So, cause what you're saying is just to break down what you said was if I'm Susie and I get we'll just say Humira or another drug, I can't afford my copay. AbbVie or a foundation may give me a card that says, oh, pay your insurance copay with this 
dollar value and then your insurance will pick up the rest. And the insurance companies are saying, but wait a second, when a pharma company comes in and does that, it lets drug companies get out of control in terms of the cost of a drug. And that they're yeah, not they're able to is that Yeah, they're, they're basically, sorry. No, <laughs> I'm talking fine. Right over you and I'm so sorry. <laughs> They're basically saying that they're trying to put into place some rules that restrict access to really expensive drugs. And they do this in a whole bunch of different ways, right? They control their formularies and what drugs they cover on their formulary. They have um, policies that require them to approve the use of these really expensive drugs. We call that prior authorization. They have other rules like requiring people to try less expensive treatments before they can get access to the more expensive treatments. Um, and so, you know, patients that are using specialty medications have usually sort of jumped through a lot of hoops and they've tried other treatments. They may have had, you know, they probably if those treatments worked, then they probably stuck with them. Right. If they try, if they had something less expensive. Um, but for a lot of patients with really serious conditions, um, specialty medications, which by and large are pretty new, um, have tended to work for them. And so patients have jumped through a lot of hoops and tried everything, and then they get prescribed one of these specialty medications. But the insurers and the PBMs um, we're concerned that copay assistance sort of gets rid of one of the controls that they put in place, which is charging high cost sharing for these drugs, because it enables people to afford these medications. Um, and so, you know, who are the winners in this? Well, it's the insurers and the PBMs, because what they is the PBM? are, oh, I'm sorry, that's a pharmacy benefit manager. They are another corporate entity who's, who the insurers contract with these pharmacy benefit managers to manage their pharmacy benefit. Um, so that's the PBMs are the ones who actually do the negotiation with the drug manufacturers to figure out how much they're going to pay for that particular drug, where it's going to go on the formulary, and then they administer the prior authorization and the step therapy and any other sort of access rules that govern how a patient might get access to that drug. So when an insurer and or PBM has a copay accumulator adjustment policy, they get to keep the money that they're being paid, the copay assistance, but they don't count it toward the patient's annual deductible and out-of-pocket limit. And this gets a little complicated because you kind of have to understand how health insurance works, right? And so the way that health insurance is designed is that most people have an annual deductible, which is an amount of money you've paid your premium. And then there's an amount of money that you have to pay that comes out of your pocket before your health insurance starts covering your health care. And that can be anywhere from, you know, sometimes it's $500 or $1,000, but it can be as high as $9,000. Mm -hmm. 
according to the rules of the Affordable Care Act. Yes, uh, I'm familiar then, with that $9,000 mark. <laughs> that's right. But in addition to the deductibles, if there's a deductible that's not $9,000, that's lower than that, you might also have co-payments or co-insurance that you have to pay when you use healthcare, right? So once you hit your deductible, then you go to get your prescription and you have to pay a co-payment or co-insurance as your share. And that's what you pay at the pharmacy right. account. So the copay assistance is really designed to pay that amount so that you can afford to take your drugs home. So the insurer that has one of these policies of the copay accumulator adjustment policy collects that copay assistance, but they don't count it towards your deductible or your out-of-pocket limit. And then instead of the way that the insurance works is once you hit that out-of-pocket limit, that $9,000, they have to cover all of your health care without any more copayments. And so if you never hit that limit, then they never have to do that. And they can keep oh, charging you. Okay. That's the trick. That's the trick. But in the meantime, they also double down and they get a windfall because they're taking your money. To, like they're taking the copay money too. That's right. So they're paying less to a drug company for a drug. Plus mm -hmm. they get the copay money. Yeah. The copay accumulate or the copay assistance money. Mm -hmm. So if you could, if anybody's watching, you could see my face like twisting painfully. Uh, how does the patient benefit here? The patient doesn't benefit. That, okay. Nope. I just wanted to make, Okay. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the important things about copay assistance is that it's not unlimited, right? Usually there's a certain amount of money that the manufacturer is willing to pay to um, help make the drugs more affordable for people when they have insurance, um, but it's not an unlimited amount. So copay assistance usually has some dollar amount and it differs by drug um how much that is right but what happens when people have a copay accumulator adjustment policy is that they use their copay assistance they get their drugs just like always but at some point the copay assistance might run out depending on your plan and which drug you're taking because all of these costs vary depending on what your health insurance looks like right but for a lot of people they might reach the end of their copay assistance and that can happen anywhere between, you know, February or September or October. It can be at any point during the year. But when that person goes to the pharmacy and they try to get their refill and their copay assistance has run out, the pharmacist is going to tell them that they owe a lot of money in order to be able to take their drug home that day. Um, and, you know, pharmacy benefits are not like they're not like the emergency room, right? Where they have to treat you and then you might get a bill and then they'll work out a payment plan and you know, you might be in debt, but you have a way to pay that back and you're still getting the healthcare that you need. Right. With the, with the pharmacy, if you can't pay your bill in full, you're not taking your drug home. 
And for some of the drugs we're talking about, it might be a couple of hundred dollars. It might be many hundreds of dollars, or it might be many thousands of dollars that someone has to pay as their share of cost on that particular refill. And I'm going to take a wild stab at the demographics that are most impacted by being able to get their medication when it comes to copay calculator, like copay accumulation uh, diversion policies, which are probably single moms, lower income people, black people, Hispanic people, right? Already marginalized groups are getting less access to healthcare than they were previously. Right, because we know that those are groups that tend to have higher prevalence of chronic illness sure. um, and might be more likely to be reliant on these. And there are some studies, I just saw one the other day that shows um, that already marginalized people are more likely to be using copay assistance and more likely to be subject to one of these policies um, and are less likely to be able to come up with the money at the pharmacy counter. And they probably have less ability to work the system to figure out how to untangle the mess that gets them the drug they need. Well, and it's confusing for people because it's not yeah. like the pharmacist says to you, oh, yeah, this bill today is $1,000. And I know last month it was only $20. But, you know, that's because your insurance policy has a copay accumulator adjustment in it. No, the pharmacy isn't saying that. Um, and so people often don't even understand why they suddenly are being faced with right. this bill when this happens to them. This is actually making sense to me about the scenario I mentioned to you before we started recording, which is having a plan, an insurance plan with a $9,000 deductible that actually covers the specialty drug every time it's administered for, you know, it's a $15,000 specialty drug every six weeks, but it gets covered for the patient at $50, but nothing else is covered. And that is, that's a set, I mean, that's a kind of a end around to a copay assistance diversion, because traditionally somebody in that position may have taken the copay assistance used it and then things were paid for now it's like eh the actuary said the person's on this drug and we're paying for it it's they're not likely to ever get beyond nine thousand dollars and we can maintain our margins that way <laughs> uh this is fascinating okay uh so we we know what the problem is uh I empathize with you on a daily basis, I think, at this point, uh, and with all these people who are impacted by this. And uh, like, let's talk about the future, and that's going to probably begin with advocacy and policy, right? To get the future we want, where people have access to drugs. It, what are some of the initiatives you've been involved in, or some of the larger initiatives out there that are trying to, uh, I don't know, fight the the diversion policies and get people better access. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so the probably the most important thing for most people who might be listening to this podcast 
um, is that there are 19 states plus DC plus Puerto Rico that have all passed laws that um, prohibit health insurers from having these policies that say that if you're using copay assistance, the insurer and the PBM, they have to count it toward your annual deductible and out-of-pocket cost, um, which is great, but um, there are a lot more states out there that need to pass these laws. So um, if you are not living in a state where the, one of these laws has already been passed, you can get involved with advocates in your state and try to get one of these laws passed in your state. In addition and to that, I was going to say, where would people find, I, I think SAA probably has a list. I, I know we've done a lot of advocacy around it, um, but is there a, a place where you would find that information? Yes. The All Copays Count Coalition has a website um, called, it's www.allcopayscount.org. And on that website, we have a map that shows all the states that have one of these laws. Um, and we also try to keep track on there of the states where there might be a, a pending bill that's been introduced um, that people can weigh in on with their state legislators. Is this a partisan issue? No, it's not. We have supporters from both sides of the aisle. And you will see if you look at that map that there are states of all different kinds and all different places. It's not geographic. It's not red or blue um, that um, have passed these laws. And they have passed with bipartisan support in every state where they have passed. Awesome. Um, it's nice to know we have one, we have something going on that's, <laughs> uh, and I think, and Richard, who's listening in the green room has sent me as well. So SAA, uh, does have the advocacy page, uh, to, for people to advocate on this and it's, uh, spondylitis.org forward slash advocacy. So I know, um, the advocacy committee does a lot of good work. Um, so I'll mention just in addition to those state bills, we also have federal legislation that we've been working on. It's called the Help Copays Act, and it has been introduced in both the House and the Senate. Um, so there's a bill, there's bills moving forward in both chambers um, and also bipartisan. Um, and we have 95 co-sponsors in the House and wow. 16 in the Senate. And the reason that federal law is important because is because it would, you know, first of all, make the rule applicable to the whole country instead of having, you know, making all the rest of those, what, 31 states go through that process. Um, but also, you know, even in the states where they've passed these laws, they don't apply to all health insurance plans. Um, health insurance is really complicated. And um, if you get your health insurance through the state marketplace, um, then these laws would apply to you. But if you have a large, if you work for an employer that's a large employer and um, they provide your health insurance, then this law might not apply to you because states don't regulate those large employer plans. So we need a federal law so oh. that it would apply to all the health insurance plans in the country. Oi, that's... Uh... It just like adds a layer of complexity. Yeah. So there's no hard, fast standard around it. And without a federal 
policy. We don't, we don't have that. Right. So right. you may be in a state, you might have a job with a company in a state where it is regulated and then you change jobs, stay in the same state and all of a sudden you lose your copay assistance. Well, you'd still be able to use your copay assistance, right? But you wouldn't get the benefit of having it counted toward your annual right. deductible and out-of-pocket right. limit, right? So yeah, it's really complicated. Um, and and that's why we need to pass this law that's that will fix it. Um, yeah. We encourage everybody to be working, you know, every time that there's a new state law that gets passed, that's helpful, right? Because it helps a lot of people in the state. And it also tells members of Congress that this is something that's really important. And so the more we can say, you know, 19 states have passed this law or 20 or 25 or 30, then that helps build momentum for getting that federal law passed. So can I pull up a level and maybe yeah. this isn't, I'm trying to do the math in my head of like, of the cost, the cost of all of this, uh, right to the government or to people individually. Uh, and it's gotta be a massive amount of dollars, but uh, is, is copay assistance really the solution to the problem we have? Or is there a bigger problem, which is access to healthcare? That, that is a like, really good question. Problem. Yeah. Um, and the answer is, is no, copay assistance is not the answer to our problems. Of course, there's a bigger issue here. And that is that healthcare is really expensive. Health insurance is really expensive. But more and more, health insurance has been designed in a way that passes more costs on to people who are sick. And that's through these deductibles and these out-of-pocket costs that have been going, that have been increasing every single year. So more people are having to pay more for their health care. A lot of people would say that the cost of prescription drugs is another issue that we have to deal with. And of course, all of these things need to be dealt with and we should have a more rational system. But the political prospects of getting that all to happen in you know, a short amount of time are, are low. Um, and so we have copay assistance in the meantime. And I like to kind of, describe copay assistance as it's a band-aid, right? It's a band-aid on a much bigger problem. But if you rip off the band-aid without fixing that underlying problem, then you just have, you know, patients who are suffering as a result. Um, copay assistance is a stopgap measure that enables people who are living with really serious chronic illnesses to afford the medication they need in a system that wasn't designed to make sure that people living with chronic illness were able to afford the care that they need. Yeah. This one is complicated. Uh, is there, from your perspective and the work you do, uh, is there a state or a group of states that have been more successful in like what we can adopt as the best practice going forward? 
Well, I think I would just point to those 19 states that have passed one of these laws. They are pretty similar to one another, and they're pretty simple. They just say that insurers have to count all payments that are made to them on behalf of an enrollee for healthcare toward that enrollee's annual deductible and out-of-pocket limit. So it's a pretty simple um, it's a pretty simple solution, and it's and it's frankly a pretty simple problem, right? Copay assistance counts or it doesn't count, and that's not complicated. The problem is that it gets all mixed up in these much more complicated issues around how health insurance works, and you know the sort of ongoing battles between the insurers and the drug manufacturers and the PBMs and. Um, those are really big industries. And unfortunately, the, the patient sort of gets lost in the middle of all of that. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I, I just, at the top of the discussion, you talked about uh, insurers and PBMs just decided they were going to stop letting people put that copay toward their out-of-pocket costs. And I just think from like a perspective of if I'm a, an insurer or a PBM, like what is my responsibility to the stakeholder who is the consumer? And I'm surprised. It, it shocks me to know that there was no regulation around them being able to modify those rules for as much regulation as goes on in healthcare. That, that one sort of like whoever, whoever caught the loophole the yeah. first time is probably probably got bonused. <laughs> and that's um, kind of a funny story because, um, you know, after this had been happening for a couple of years, we, um, the All Co-Based Count Coalition members, um, talked to the Department of Health and Human Services and we said, you guys really need to regulate this. Like, this is a problem. And in 2019, so not too long after all of this started, um, HHS actually did put out a rule that said that um, insurers and PBMs could only have these copay accumulator adjustment policies under really limited circumstances. Basically, they could only do it for drugs that had a generic alternative um, and the patient hadn't gotten an exception to be able to use the brand. So it was pretty limited because the vast majority of drugs for which there is copay assistance um, don't have a generic alternative. So right. it was really just a few um, drugs where that was going to be applicable. But a few months after that, they, um, they HHS said that they weren't going to enforce that rule. They changed their mind. And then in 2020, they issued another rule that said that uh, insurers and PBMs could decide to have these policies if they wanted to. There's so much, this is very, like, this is, my head is kind of spinning. Um, I want to take a kind of like a hairpin turn here. How did you get into this? Like you have to have a lot of passion and patience for this. So I give, I give you a lot of credit. I, but what got you here? Because you have to, you have to be probably one of the leading experts in the U S on this 
issue, which is huge for a lot of people with chronic diseases. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I have been working on health insurance policy in DC for a really long time. Um, I uh, probably about, I think it's about 20 years now. And I've always worked at nonprofit organizations that were working to increase access to healthcare um, by expanding health insurance and trying to improve what health insurance offers. So, you know, I worked on the Affordable Care Act, I've worked on Medicaid. Um, the Children's Health Insurance Program. Um, and then in 2018, I came to work at the AIDS Institute and we had heard about this issue from patients who were struggling to afford the drugs, even when they had health insurance. And that just seems really wrong. Um, when it comes to HIV, not being able to afford your medication is a really big problem uh, because when you have um, your, when you are successfully treating HIV, you can reduce your viral load so that it is, you can live a healthy, normal, relatively normal life. Um, and you also can't transmit HIV to anybody else. So making sure that people have access to the medication that they need is really important for their personal health. And it's also important for public health. So, you know, when, when people can't get access to their medication, their virus might mutate, um, they might develop um, AIDS, they might be able to spread HIV. So for us, this is a really important issue. And we also were hearing from colleagues um, that represent people with other chronic illnesses, that this was also an issue for them. And it seemed at the time like it was something that really didn't um, mesh with our understanding of the rules under the Affordable Care Act. And we thought, well, we'll just go explain to HHS what's happening here and they'll fix it. Um, and I never knew at that time that five years later, I would still be working on this issue. Yeah, right. Well, and I think too, I mean, in the context of, right, the disease that we, we work on um, at Spondylitis Association, which is spondylitis and spondyloarthritis, uh, not having access to what you need is also right it contributes to like increased disability rates probably you know significant uh backsliding in in a disease that you're already fighting every day uh i just think like some of these and some of these medications are like life support essentially yes for depending on what it is, like, let's hope we don't go after insulin next. Um, but it's, it's appalling, really. I mean, maybe I'm taking too heavy a stance there, but. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, you know, after, after I'd already been working on this issue for a couple of years, um, my child developed a chronic illness for which they needed a specialty medication. So I became involved, not only from a professional perspective of, you know, what I do for a living, but also as a mom trying to mm -hmm. navigate the system and make sure that we were going to be able to afford my child's medication. Um, and that once they turned 18, they would be able to continue to have the treatment that they need going for going forward. So if you're in one of these states, which I'm, I applaud you as a mom, because I'm sure that is not easy uh, for any mom. Uh, in looking 
at people who may be in a state that is, I'll just say, protected um, from this type of policy or not, uh, when something changes in terms of you show up at the pharmacy and all of a sudden your copay is 100 times what it used to be, uh, who do you call to like get help? Where is the resource? So if you are, you know, in a state that has passed one of these laws, um, I mean, there's from an advocacy perspective, you know, you should call your insurance commissioner because you want to make sure that your that the insurers are are following the law, right? And if they're not, then they should be reported to the insurance commissioner. Um, now, from a personal perspective. Um, anytime you encounter one of these and uh, and you have an issue, you know, you want to first make sure that your insurance company is doing what it can to help you get your medication, right? So you can call your provider and, and ask them to advocate on your behalf. Um, you can call the insurer and ask them not to do it. Um, they aren't required to, right? It's an option for them. So you can always ask them um, to change their mind. You can also reach out to um, organizations that represent people who have the condition that you are managing, like I'm sure the Spondylitis Association. hundred um, percent, yeah. Um, and, you know, and we are happy to do what we can to advocate on your behalf. There are also charitable assistance programs out that are not you know, drug manufacturers, they're charities that will provide copay assistance. And the companies are supposed to count charitable assistance toward the out-of-pocket limit. So if you're able to get charitable assistance, you might fare better, but it can be harder to get that than it is to get the manufacturer assistance. Interesting. That I was wondering about the charitable organization. So that's very interesting. Um, and I do know, and again, thanks to Richard, who always has our back, uh, right? We like growing, I think there's a growing movement among people who use specialty medications and we're among them that are doing more and more work to advocate. So I think to your point, calling nonprofits or organizations that that really are designed to support the patient communities around these diseases is really important. Um, any other kind of final thoughts on this? My head's kind of exploding, so I, <laughs> which doesn't happen often. Uh, uh, yeah, anything we miss that people need to know about in terms of how to deal with this situation? Well, there's one more thing I want to mention, but I'm worried that it's going to make it even more complicated. Um, but I'll just throw it out there, which is that recently there was a court decision that um, a couple of organizations and some patients had filed a lawsuit against HHS around this issue. And the decision came out a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was in our favor. And what the decision said is that HHS can no longer have this rule that lets the insurers decide whether or not they want to do copay accumulator adjustment policies. 
Um, but it wasn't specific about sort of what happens next. So we are asking HHS to quickly issue guidance that tells insurers that they have to follow that other regulation that they issued first in 2019 that says that um, that they can't do these copay accumulator adjustment policies except in these limited circumstances. Now, HHS has 60 days to decide whether they're going to appeal this court ruling. We think it's a really positive step that the court decided this way. We think we have the opportunity to make some real headway for patients as a result of this decision, but we are asking HHS not to appeal it and to quickly tell insurers what they have to do now and to tell them that they can't have copay accumulator adjustment policies except under these really limited circumstances. So another thing that, you know, we can do as patients is to write to CMS and um, sorry, that's the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services that's part of HHS that oversees the health insurance policies. Um, but we can write to them and say what we want them to do. Um, and it's just another way to make our voice heard and also to stay in touch with the nonprofit organizations um, like the Spondylitis Association and the AIDS Institute and others, the All Copays Count Coalition, that are monitoring this issue because we'll let you know when and if HHS takes that action. So there's there's sort of multiple fronts that we're fighting all of this on and there's hope for the future. But in the meantime, um, you know, if you are facing one of these policies and you go to the pharmacy and you can't get your medication, you know, let us know tell your story because the more that we can elevate those voices and share with the powers that be, whether they're the regulators or the legislators about how this is affecting patients, the more likely we are to be able to make progress. Yeah, for sure, right? It doesn't, you don't elevate, I mean, really at the core of this, this is a human rights issue. Yes. And unless we elevate it and are the squeaky wheels or whatever, or creaky joints or whatever, <laughs> um, it doesn't get, it doesn't get heard. Right. So advocacy and in every definition of the word. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you. This has been eye-opening and I, I hope we get an update, like positive updates coming out of this afterwards um, as we keep in touch. But thank you very much for joining us and for all the work you do and your commitment to uh, making things accessible and affordable for many of us uh, who are listening here today. Thanks for having me. SpondyCast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit, educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.